0: everyone this is airy in the air welcome back to the podcast stoked you're here today i've got a really uh, the word coming to me is beautiful conversation with a friend jacob and there's a couple things i want you to notice about this conversation that struck me one is Jacob has put a huge emphasis on dialogue, on learning how to communicate openly, authentically, vulnerably, in real time, centered in himself. And that is something that is super appreciated and draws out of me a certain kind of presence, a certain kind of conversation, a certain part of myself. So in this conversation, you're going to notice that and it's really cool i really appreciate it and so i hope that we can model the behavior that might point towards what dialogue could look like not saying i'm the world's greatest dialoguer, but this is a pretty real conversation and it's really free and it wanders beautifully Um, it also there's a funny 20 minutes in I had an unexpected visitor, so we take 10 minutes off, and then you'll notice how we drop back into conversation is very deliberate, uh, so I'm grateful for that. It's a really cool, I think, I, I really like the things that I say in this, honestly. I really like what it, what Jacob drew out of me in here. He's a great listener, and that is very helpful. Um, so yeah, I won't preface this conversation too much, but it is a great dialogue, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, Jacob is also the host of his own podcast. It's called Sense Space, and so we kind of occupy a similar um, space in podcasting that's the sense-making web, the meta-modern, meta-theory, Game B kind of space, so it's cool to have him on. So without further ado, Here's some music. Please, if you like this podcast, consider supporting it on Patreon. Patreon is literally the only way that this podcast gets supported. No advertising, just from you because you like it, you send me money and that's really a wonderful and beautiful thing. So, thanks to all the patrons and without any further further ado, here's a little music and my conversation with Jacob.
1: that we'd come in here and we're talking about integration and masculinity and the deep nature of sensitivity because Uh those all happen to be things that have been yeah very core for me
0: yeah good i i that's a nice reflection i appreciate that and to bring in something that I had heard a long time ago that was really foundational in this concept for me was a thing that I heard Daniel Schmachtenberger talking about, which was that humans' ability to be flexible in our bioregion, our ability to live in the tundra and in the tropics, Is because we are sensitive. A mollusk is incredibly insensitive. It builds a shell around itself so that it insulates itself from changes in the environment. Where a human, our skin is so sensitive to little wisps of wind, slight changes in humidity, changes in barometric pressure. Sounds, light, the stars. That is to say that if we were to put this in some kind of Wilbur frame, it is that evolution is increasing in orders of complexity and as. It continues to get more complex. Complexity and sensitivity are deeply correlated. That means that to evolve is to become more sensitive, not less. So if we want to evolve as ourselves, as men, it's not that we toughen up and harden to the world. It's that we soften and we open to the world. And collectively, it's being asked of us, you know, it's being asked of us over and over and over to increase our sensitivity. The way that Jordan has kind of put it is that It has become clear that our level of care is now way higher than it once was, and now it's existentially requisite that we have that level of care. It's like the collective soul has gone from a whisper, and it's getting louder and louder and louder until it will scream in our faces and at some point we won't be able to answer it at all we won't have the biological ability to answer
2: there's there's a
1: sense of that that whisper turned scream is is being muffled in a in a real sense and not just the sense that we uh, those people who are let me put this to words it's not just that as a scream and it's muffled and we're not able to give expression to it it's that we are not in touch with the place from which the 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 depth of feeling that, that we're calling that scream that Uh, the
0: source, the source of the whisper, the source of the scream
1: precisely.
0: Yeah. It takes a deep sensitivity to be able to put your finger on that, to hear that. And we've been as children, we're, we're in touch with that. We're in touch with what's real for us. It's like, do you want macaroni and cheese? It's your favorite food. You're like, no, I don't know. I don't know. why. I don't want it. I don't want it. Or now it's like someone makes us our favorite food. They're like, here's your favorite food. You're like, oh, thanks. And you like eat it because you like want to be polite. Children are like, well, I don't don't want it. Get that shit away from me. (laughs) I also, as I make the analogy that we have a whisper that can turn into a scream, I have to delineate that the scream is never angry. The scream is never actually screaming. To scream as a human is to have passion. But I tend to think that the sound of the universe is absolutely indifferent. It is absolutely indifferent. The one of the on Saturday with this big acid trip, one of the craziest parts of it was I had this non-stop auditory hallucination. That was the sound of existence. The Oregon coast where I was is extremely tumultuous and big waves crashing into rocks, turning stone to sand. And so this deeply ominous sound that sounded like a hundred airports and a hundred freight trains and a hundred semi-trucks, all full throttle, just this crazy gnawing, gnashing, churning, tumultuous, the sound of existence, this hum, this, it was like the belly of the beast. And that sound was incredibly loud, but it was not angry. It was loud, but it was not angry. It just was. The, the, sound of our soul is never angry that it's been neglected. We develop a sensitivity. And as our sensitivity builds up, sometimes we build up tension in our sensitivity that we're like, we know we need to be more sensitive. We know we need to be in more alignment, but we're not doing it. And our sensitivity actually becomes the thing that is resentful and it's like listen to the voice 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 listen to the fucking voice that's the part of us that will scream but the voice is indifferent the sound of existence is indifferent right it has no judgment it's just it's purely observational It has no judgment. It's not good or bad. Listening to it is not good or bad. It just is. The sound of existence is indifferent. Hmm. And the sound of existence in nature, the sound of the waves crashing over and over and over, the sound of a waterfall that has no end is not good or bad. It is the same as the sound of our own souls. The sound of existence in nature, and the sound of our souls is one and the same. That's the source. That's the thing. That's the fucking. That's the thing that we're trying to listen to. That's like right relationship with reality, right? It's like those are really big waves, and will drown you indifferently. The waves aren't angry at you.
1: And and in the. Yet in the experience of of being the human that becomes the space for that fullness of being in all these different natural contexts indifferent is not quite the word that comes for me because it feels kind of without without color or um without preference or where, well, from my experience when i get down to the sort of deepest state of emptiness there is a distinctly loving quality to that hmm But there's, I can, I can say that perhaps that larger, there's a way in which if there was a larger ground, let's say, or a sort of dimension that is imminent and outside of all of the goings on of human life, all of the suffering and conflict that there's somehow something secluding that, that is indifferent to it. And so when we go into nature on an acid trip, there's a profound possibility of sort of letting go into that and mm-hmm. the, the sort of spaciousness of how far it can it's it's an incredibly expansive space and at a certain point it becomes so expansive and you know as expansive as the actual cosmos within which we have emerged Yeah, I can see a quality of indifference, Mm -hmm. but I
0: don't feel that it's a cold indifference. Mm, It's a warm indifference. (laughs) Let me, I I guess I can describe to you how this typically looks in my life. Mm. When I'm paragliding, and there is a thermal that is so incredibly violent and powerful that when I experience it, it, I tend to experience it as violent or scary, or um, I tend to experience it as, you know, it's like a monster it's against me. But that is just my judgment of reality. Because the air just is. When a surfer gets held down by a big wave, you can imagine that the surfer thinks of that big wave as angry. But the wave is not angry. The wave just is. What I'm referring to is the way that we pass judgment onto the intention of nature so often this is a deeply mythological human process right we talk about the wrath of god we talk about the mm. the the we talk about the wrath but we also talk about the blessing and you know when a skier gets caught in an avalanche the skier experiences that avalanche as angry as threatening it's dangerous. But the reality is that the beauty of the avalanche is still there. It's beautiful and powerful in its reality. But the avalanche is indifferent. The avalanche just is. The air just is. The wave just is. Just as we tend to in interpersonal relationships, we personify the other person or the things that happen as they happen to us. Mm -hmm. This person did this to me. Very rarely the case. And even if it is deliberately the case, still, there's a way we can go deeper and understand that it has nothing to do with us and that things are happening in existence. Existence is unfolding. My own struggle is just a part of the unfolding.
1: And yeah, and I would say in the, in in my experience, it's also that Whatever that that feeling might just be, like oh, some you know somebody didn't answer my email, and then there's a sense of like oh, there's a something here, and gradually over time, I've learned to to not attribute to never needlessly attribute negative intent.
0: Aha. Uh-huh.
1: But feelings have to be felt. Totally. And, and that it's it's our participating fully with those feelings that allows them to be sort of to flow back into the larger indifferent yeah. mm-hmm. um quality of of nature.
0: Yeah. I hear that. I think from What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to position myself more accurately in my experience because my life has been a series of successes that I praise myself for and failures that I kick myself for. So much of the things that I've done for my entire life are me interfacing very directly, very viscerally with nature, with the way things are. Whether I'm skiing down a very steep mountain that the snow is only precariously perched to, or if I am balancing across a very long piece of rope that exhibits the way energy moves through a substrate, or if I'm flying in an invisible atmosphere. All of these things are they mediums of reality that I'm trying to come into right relationship with. And I have noticed that my personification of them as angry or bad or blessing and happy is to step away from that right relationship ever so slightly. To experience it as it is, and to remove the judgment of warm or cold, positive or negative, loving or loving or wrathful, I found that that brings me into a closer relationship with the medium itself of nature. I'm not saying that that's the proper relationship and I've also heard that sound of existence as a very loving, calming, white noise hum. But I am best off, it seems, accepting that sound of existence as the sound of existence. And the feeling that it invokes in me is irrelevant. To be in right relationship with the air, to fly uh, 150 miles in a single flight is to be sensitive and aware and to be in touch with reality and the atmosphere. And to land after that and praise myself seems to put fire or put wood on the wrong fire. The one that kind of burns me up, even though it's a nice firework show, as opposed to having gratitude that that the atmosphere was like that today. I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain and I'm not sure that I've made as much progress in this as I may be alluding to. But I think I'm elucidating the bullseye as best I can where I'm trying to aim. Um, And I think that as I become more sensitive as a man, I can tune into the things that I do that are life giving that make me feel really f- not just fired up but really deeply like grounded and renewed and the mm-hmm. things that tire me and that's an interesting analogy because it's you know tied to athletics what makes you tired and what actually fills you up it's an interesting thing
1: very much
0: what's your nice. uh, what's your time frame here
1: I do not have one.
0: Okay, good. Can I I just need 10 minutes. I just had an unexpected visitor who's my best friend. Um, but I'm going to leave. 10 the, minutes. Uh, yeah. Reconvened. Okay, I'm just going to leave a recording to run in here.
1: All right. Okay, bye. Thank you. No worries. Yeah, as you we were gone, I was recollecting on a time that I had tripped acid in, in Greece and had a conversation scheduled that evening and, and had all these great insights on the acid trip. And then I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to do the best podcast. And then I got onto it and I turned on the record button and like suddenly like all the, like I was so sensitized and I was just like, it wasn't, it wasn't wise in that context. So yeah, I... <laughs> I realized that jumping to recording might not be the most considerate thing for your integration. And that's sort of what I want to be the
0: Mm.
2: the
1: main main thing. And it's clearly, yeah, I mean, we're recording anyway, but these ideas are being developed and they're very articulate already.
0: I I appreciate that. And I think that it's, I can only have the conversation so many times. I can only say it so many times before it become before I lose my desire to talk about it. And so like even, you know, just now the interruption is my best friend Eric and I was like I just can't tell him. Like I told him that that I meant to microdose and I got four hits of acid, but I couldn't tell him all the crazy experiences cuz I I only have so many so many chances at that. So I'm happy to be recording. I'm happy to be sussing these things out. And it's nice to have, um, the reflections because I do think my YouTube channel, the viewership is 96% male and the culture around paragliding is not always the healthiest i mean our culture that what we don't have a very we don't have very many super healthy cultures in any of our activities or communities so talking about things that keep it from being really healthy and or might lead it to being more healthy for us to get more out of it for our lives it being more fulfilling is exactly what i do need to be recording about but i do appreciate your sensitivity
1: yes. and i also want to just Yeah, recognize the sort of sacredness of sharing those things. Like in the immediate period after psychedelic trips, I've made the early mistake of trying to share with everybody and then feeling the thing sort of diluted the more that I would say it. And
2: Uh, now uh, I'm I'm much more
1: discerning about sharing much at all because I want to keep it, like, I, I do share with people, but sharing it with the wrong ears, let's say, sharing it into the wrong ears can, like, be a, a disruptive experience for me. Uh-huh. Interesting. And, yeah, it's like you you want to speak something like that into, into a, ears or into a space where you can actually not be reducing it or, or even making a a quick conclusion about what it means or anything like that. Yeah. But I, I deeply resonate on these aspects of masculinity and culture and Maybe I can throw a few branches in here and and see if it s- stokes up something.
0: Would love that. So,
1: yeah. Just to, to build out a little bit more context, because I mentioned at the start when we hit on this topic that I had been completely cut off from my emotions. Um, in a meaningful sense, I was very rational up here. That's how I experienced the world. And uh, my, my tone of voice was monotone, but my emotional perception was also monotone. Um, and the experience of opening up, which was, of course, involving a lot of crying and releasing, which I was able to find a relationship where I kind of it sort of pulled the plug on the, the very full bathtub um, that was sort of in my unconscious. That opened up the chest all area for me. And with it came this whole dimensionality of perception and a felt dialogical texture to things that wasn't there before and with that came the capacity to feel things and to feel people and gradually in the process of that i you know was exploring psychedelics
2: and you spoke you spoke
1: earlier to the to the merit of sensitivity and opening up and i wanted to add another layer to that which is to to do it in the right context or way. and uh the way that the way that i went about it was was that i didn't have a developed sense of boundaries that's part of like emotional intelligence is to be able to Um, discern your own boundaries and to sort of alchemically speak them and and so forth. So I think part of the challenge for men could be becoming vulnerable in a context where the female counterpart, which often it's going to be a female, cannot meaningfully hold it because she herself is maybe cut off from the deeper emotions with trauma and all of that stuff, which is, I think also common in our culture. Um, but it's very important to, as you're becoming more sensitive to proportionally become more skillful in 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 feeling your boundaries to be something beyond yourself and to somehow like Mm. like I feel like there's another layer here that I need to to bring in that has been very important for me as a very becoming a very sensitized individual who works with people in dialogue and you know has that capacity to listen in a way where emotions are drawn out and coming forth and to to allow things to almost be released and and birthed out of people. To have a a clear sense of my own capacity and to be able to articulate that rather than getting into situations where I'm sensitized but I'm not able to articulate it Mm. and therefore I'm just onboarding things that that are beyond my capacity to hold
0: very interesting I think the way I would the way that I would kind of like put this or the way that I have kind of experienced this is As you spoke there, you referred to this a man accepting into himself a vulnerability and developing a sense of sensitivity that he can share with someone else. And I think that below that or before that is the vulnerability with oneself. It is actually... Has to be acknowledged that you're feeling the thing before you could ever share it with another person. So there is this sensitivity of self to self that is completely internal, completely and totally internal.
1: That strikes me to be a kind of listening.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It is. That's the. That's the, whisper. That's the sensitivity. The courage, that we were referring to earlier, is the part where, you are discerning. Enough to share. Into the right space for the right reasons, right. Certainly this, like your vulnerable shares can be weaponized, right? That you would love to get a pat on the back or check me out. I'm so spiritual, right? And maybe before that is the, underneath that is the actual sensitivity. The courage comes in where you're actually, Tuned into that sensitivity of where is my motivational center here in sharing this, and and what is my skillfulness, and who to share it with, when, how, why? Yeah, this is something I've had to work with a lot. I I would consider myself an over communicator. Hmm. I guess what I what the other thing I was going to say was that on the path of increasing sensitivity and courage it is very likely that either a man or a woman because The reality is that this this idea that you increase your sensitivity of that whisper inside of yourself and then you develop the courage to actually act on it and be integrated with it and to be in line with it and to be embodied with it, that is not just manhood, that is personhood. That is personhood. The part that makes that manhood is that if you're a man- the whisper tends to be more masculine, right? The whisper is the real source. If the whisper is feminine, then we're talking about, or more to say, if you are a woman, that whisper leads you to womanhood. Uh huh. Uh huh. And if you are a man, the whisper leads you to manhood. It's actually not predicated on whether you are more masculine or feminine in your disposition, right? Because manhood and men includes a, the entire spectrum of masculine and feminine energy, right? It mm. is bell curved in one direction but it includes the whole thing so whether you're a incredibly credibly effeminate man to become sensitive to the essence of yourself and courageous enough to live it out every day is to step into manhood and vice versa but my point here being that on your path towards this embodiment, the chance that you will have sensitivity to what's real inside of yourself and courage to speak it and make the mistake of speaking it at the wrong time for the wrong reasons to the wrong person, oh, it's very good. Courage, no. courage is a dangerous thing in paragliding especially if you, if you need courage, you probably just ought not. If you need courage, you probably just shouldn't. If it makes a lot of sense and it is unfolding in front of you, then let it happen. But if you think you're going to try something new, if you think it's really dangerous, but you're going to do it, you probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't. Um trying to put this analogy together here because obviously the courage of paragliding is something that you embed it is something that you bite off a little bit a little bit a little bit you work through the fear to develop skills that then the skills and the courage are intertwined in the fabric of your ability and your competence as a pilot so it's not always experienced as courage like i'm ready like uh, live or die here we go is Mm -hmm. this gonna work Mm -hmm. no it's more like you know i had the courage to like start and then i had the courage to keep learning and the courage to keep trying and there were scary situations that i like met with presence and courage and keep trying and trying and trying and trying so the the courage and the skill the courage and the competence are interwoven there yes and so The same analogy I think is true for interpersonal and vulnerability. There is a skill in vulnerability and there um, you can have mastery in it and the mastery and the courage become interwoven. Because it's not like, there are times in my life where I have to have a really hard conversation that takes courage, like literal, like where I feel it as scary and I'm like, okay, I need to like push through this. There are other times where just like, my skill and practice of being vulnerable took courage on every single time. And each of those fabrics of skillfulness that I have developed in my vulnerability has also been paired with a cross-woven fiber of courage. So now the fabric that makes up vulnerability for me is half skill, half sensitivity and half courage. Wow three halves.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so there's a there's a few things I'd love to add to this. And one is we're already
0: at 150%. Sorry. There's no room for adding. (laughs) We've already got our three.
1: Um, this one's well from Jordan hall actually is, is the idea of infinitesimal courage. And that is an incredibly useful term in this context for re understanding this courage of masculine vulnerability in that it shows up in very minute and small, seemingly small moments, it, it can even be a very small adjustment of like I could, I could be a little more in truth here or I could be a little more out of truth and it might be a little more preferable and so it can really be that um, slight. I think there's a a couple of sort of elements from my journey or stages of this process that I would bring in. And I think the first one for me is the initial opening up. Um, If you are a man who doesn't have much of a felt sense of relationship to your feelings or an understanding of that, there is a blockage and you are not able to perceive it or hear it or feel it. And there will be very small moments in intimate relationship or other contexts where you begin to tap into that or you begin to sort of pull the thread that's holding that whole blockage together. And so that is one form of courage is to... To be able to sort of let go of the control of the thing that you're afraid to feel. That to feel it would be inconceivable. And that's the moment when you stop bawling, crying, and the somatic blockage is released. And in the release of it, following the somatic release comes the understanding of why things why why that was the way that it was so that's sort of an initial thing which has been a huge part of what you know the transformation process for me of moving from completely cut off to deeply sensitized but then there's more of a kind of in practice courage which is more like in communication with somebody else discerning that there is if like now okay you've got in touch with some of your feelings but you have this challenge of bringing them into relationship with the world and getting into being able to find relationship and spaces where you are able to authentically speak whatever you are discerning and have a sufficient degree of masculine masculine sort of trust held in that space that you can you can do that and so that's what i was able to find participating in men's groups over the last year or so i led a men's group that's just finishing up now and that has been an incredible arena of of this kind of minute courage and also growth because there's something about like connecting the inside with the outside through speech and having other people hear it it's like if i can say it here and be it in this space in this container that's sort of supportive of those risk taking moves then then i sort of become that And I think that's a very important part of the cultural um, transformational process of getting men in relationship to their sensitivity and complexity and, and capacity to really lead from the center is to have those spaces and in 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 those spaces what i found is a mixture of sort of having like a real meditation and slowing down like slowing things down in a dialogue space so that you can have the space to listen to what's coming mm-hmm. and also that when you speak something that might feel risky that everybody in the group can sort of allow it to be there but then like more recently there's been an understanding of like wrestling or like the willingness to wrestle in a very physical sense of like men in relationship with each other tend to like seek a kind of physicality and we sort of know each other by some physical contact and so It's like you, you could sort of express a feeling and emotion and be back here. Or you could express it and you could be right here and sort of within reach of the other person. And like that, that being there and being in touch creates a, an okayness for whatever happens. And I think like being there and being able to wrestle figuratively is affording of, of more of these vulnerable truths mm-hmm. coming through.
0: I want to, I want to double click on this. Um, there's one of the things that I became fucking painfully aware of this weekend on my big acid trip, was that my one of the things I'm being called to do over and over is lead men and to grow as a man myself. It's something that I do on YouTube with my paragliding channel. It's something I try to do here on the podcast. I'm trying to grow and integrate and I'm trying to do that publicly and vulnerably in a way that inspires and permits and affords other men the space to do something similar. The path of my life as it's been, as an action sports athlete, some kind of action figure, some kind of thing that like people think is like so crazy and cool. And like it's like the, you know, like, you know, Peter Lindbergh has got like the the meta cool. He's like the fucking meta cool. But the way that I've grown up, I've grown up like objectively, like the media, like the fucking blue church cool. Mm-hmm. I'm like the fucking the the Ringling Brothers cool. I'm like backflip cool. <laughs> and so <laughs> to have chased that for so long only to find it unsatisfying and to want to develop my own sensitivity and embody and embody and embody and experience and let it flow through myself so much more of a feminine um, pursuit, I find so fulfilling and wanting to share that path that I've been on, learn more about it myself and encourage other men to do it. What happened this weekend was that I was challenged over and over and over to lead a men's group. And it's interesting that my being challenged to lead a men's group, having never been a part of a men's group ever, You know, I was just like, Um, but I also have some kind of experience here, guiding the masculine experience through sport and how to have it, how to use it as a tool for transformation and growing up is something that I've been talking about for years. So I guess what I want to double click on here is from a societal perspective, I have grown up in a time that has beat me over the head for being a man and has tried to belittle my manly traits, starting in school of being hyperphysical and wanting to be outside rough house, play, 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 wanting to be very physical, not wanting to sit still, not wanting to do fucking learning bullshit wanting to create, wanting to play, wanting to move and wrestle and fight. And the idea that men would come together exclusively as men and exclusively to women that we would exclude women no girls allowed boys club right one of the one of the biggest complaints of the world is that the world is a giant boys club so to create another boys club is like taboo but there is some relationship that is growing in my awareness that is if i don't really, really, really deeply understand and become embedded in manhood with men, then I am likely to perpetuate the unembodied masculinity, the devolved masculinity that is purported as the patriarchy or the the global boys club. So the thing I want to double click on here is what's the relationship between men in relationship to men. What's the importance of men getting into right relationship with manhood and other men as it relates to the metacrisis essentially.
1: Awesome. <laughs> awesome question. Well, first of all, I will say that I was not the blue church cool. <laughs> I was the disembodied playing Xbox, uh, you know, talking to my boys on headset, uh-huh. playing Battlefield, kind of cool, um, and being much more sort of intellectual, um, and my dad was not a traditional, was not like, wasn't, I don't know. I don't feel like was super like traditional macho style dad. Um, So I found myself looking for male role models throughout my developmental period and continue today to, to a certain degree to have this capacity to identify men who that was something that I was drawn to. And often that was somehow drawing me to a part of myself to be realized. I just lost a thread, but I'm going to pull it back. So I found myself sort of craving something that I didn't know that I was craving. When I was in my second year of university, I was in UCSD for a year and I rushed a fraternity with my roommate and I was astonished by the experience that could be created with this infrastructure of getting sort of bands of, Young men together, initiating them through ritual, having them commit to certain principles, and um, and sort of commit to to conducting themselves in a certain way to the men within that, and also to be accountable to the brand of the of the fraternity, SAE, in this instance. Um, and that you know that was a brief period of my life but i i came i came away from that and i felt like there was something there that i had tapped into there was a certain male magic and i had become more somehow through the process of participating in that like that year was a big year of becoming for me i had my first love lost my virginity and first acid trip and being recognized by other men being being participating in a way where you are received and respected is a huge part of healthy male development. And if you don't have that, that's, that seems to me to be an unhealthy path. Uh Um, But obviously fraternities are an insufficient model. We didn't talk about our feelings and there wasn't really, you know, they would, they, they don't filter out for, of bad personality traits. and When I got involved in men's work, I attended a Rebel Wisdom men's retreat several years later. And during that experience, I found myself at age 23, the youngest guy on the retreat, surrounded by men in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, even a guy in his early 70s, And we did all of this really typical masculine stuff. But we also did typically feminine stuff as well. We got up in the morning, we ran around, we worked out, we did things where we would get in touch. We would physically do these activities and sort of games where we established physical contact with the other men. But then we would go and do circling and we would go and do these things that got us into you know our relationship to our fathers and all of this stuff that sort of is is unspoken and rotten and not fulfilled and actually shapes the course of our lives invisibly in huge ways and so the takeaway from that retreat was there's actually a Fusion of this masculine being in contact, wrestling in an all male context where there isn't like female presence, where there isn't sort of rivalry around that. That contact can actually be the basis on which vulnerability and accountability can occur. In a meaningful way. Um, and then that experience ended. That was just a weekend. And then it just went away. And I was like, fuck, that was such a powerful experience. And there wasn't much follow up. And then I was sort of on my own again. And then later on, I got involved in a, a men's group focused on male trauma and integrating that. And that group gradually evolved. And then I volunteered to sort of lead that group. And we continued to articulate a vision of what it was we were doing. So I've I've laid out to Mark, and I want you to sort of throw back to me whilst we're doing this so that I can keep connected with the the question, because I I think we're going to have to build it out together as we go along.
0: Here, a thread here that is the nature of a masculine relationship traditionally, commonly, that there is a physicality, that there is a Yeah, a very somatic sense. There's also the part that you referred to as typically feminine, the emotional sensitivity, acknowledgement, and work around that. I think that that is... I don't know. I would call it something like incorporating all of the parts. It's getting in touch with the different parts of yourself and the different parts of masculinity and manhood in general. My intuition is that without men being connected to their own masculinity and men at large, a number of pathologies can develop. I see my high school and university days as I remember hanging out with guys and using the term sausage fest as derogatory, meaning that it was just men. Where are all the girls? Where are the girls? Where are the girls? Where are the girls? Where are the girls? girls? And I think that that, has bled into my life because here in the wake of a recent breakup, I find myself uninspired to hang out with my close male friends. Um, Impressing them doesn't do it for me in the way that um, it does for a woman or it does for impressing a woman. And I think that this pathology in me is essentially that, to say it crudely, I think it's that if I don't have the presence of a woman, I won't be okay, that I won't be entertained, that I won't be inspired, that I won't have a muse. A muse is so feminine, that I, I just won't have it. So I think the idea that a man, and I say man, when I say man here, I mean integrated came of age man, not merely sexually mature male human. I mean, man. I think, a real man is someone who is okay being a man and being around men that is something deeply fulfilling i think the pathology that is another pathology that has developed in me is a over competitiveness with other men specifically in the sexual selection department. It manifests as me thinking of myself as radically different than other men. That I'm more sensitive, that I'm more in tune, that I'm less violent, that I'm more sober, that I'm X, Y, and Z. Which, that pathology develops all kinds of relational problems. Um, I've experienced them mostly as clinging, grasping neediness and an inability to deal with the end of a relationship or accept the end of a relationship when it is time. Mm -hmm. Also uh, rushing into the next relationship as a means to ameliorate the pain of the end of the last relationship. And so it's become acutely aware in me that it's time to do some men's work in my life. And that that awareness has also brought awareness to my resistance to do it which I've had for a long time, but yeah, I've um, been very interested in the idea of coming of age. One of my favorite episodes on the podcast that I've ever recorded was with John Verveke, and I talked to him about coming of age ritual, and He gave me a long history and a psychological and spiritual map of why that's important, how it used to happen, how it doesn't happen now, and how it ought. And so I've had this... I've had a very painful year in this because it was about... 375 days ago, that a deep relationship that I had been in for three years ended very rapidly. And I moved out of the house I had lived in for nine years, my entire adult life. And I signed a contract to star in a TV show, and I packed up my shit, moved out of the house, and I went on a six month road trip that I was hoping was going to be some kind of coming of age ritual for myself. But. I think maybe now I'm having the realization in a way that I never have. That is. um, The reality that I. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't do that by myself. I can't do that. I can't do a coming-of-age ritual to myself. And I think I tried, and it didn't work. And I felt a deep disappointment that I spent that six months trying to do that, and it didn't work. And that's come to a head in the last month, as a, the relationship that I found myself in ended, in no small part to my own feeling of unreadiness and unactualizedness and a deep disappointment in that. And now I think I'm realizing that I tried to do it alone. And I can't do it alone because I am not manhood. And to be in right relationship with masculinity and manhood is to be in right relationship with men and a community of men, not me trying to make myself as an island.
1: when we speak about coming-of-age ritual, it can very often become focused on like a big fire or some sort of taking men out into the wilderness and maybe something involving psychedelics. But I think that the coming-of-age process can actually be much more gradual and similar to that infinitesimal courage thing that we spoke about before. And so you declaring your readiness or desire or feeling called to be involved in men's work or to be leading men is an expression of a becoming to me. And I feel in my own very recent journey with with the men's groups, I've been in these little moments of like the point at which I sort of felt like, oh, I I could lead this and then to actually say that and have it received by the men that I had established a relationship with was really important.
2: And mm,
1: I, too, have been deeply, deeply informed, transformed, and shaped by my relationships with a very select few women since I became an adult and just fucking rocked my world when my first love relationship came to an end abruptly. Um, And I was probably 19 or something and that wound was pretty much not able to be integrated. It was just I didn't have any male relationships that were capable of attending to that. And then the natural consequence of that is that we we go to the next female relationship in order to somehow to tend to to that. And yeah, I, I recollect it being exactly two years from the breakup to the actual moment where I had fully acknowledged and dropped into the amount of pain that was caused by that. And I think that, the obviously that the degree of love is correspondent with the degree of pain with the loss. But I think it's also that there was such a lack of Other relationships in my life that were anywhere near as deep as the one with that woman that the loss of it was so much more um, so much greater. And I was in another relationship in many ways playing out and working out the consequence of not healing from the first one. And learned a lot of things and became but also took on a lot of trauma and was in a deeply imbalanced
2: relationship where things were happening and my capacity to communicate my boundaries wasn't there and nobody in my life
1: I didn't have any other relationships in my life in that relationship where the truth of that relationship, both the intensity of the love and the intensity of the um, pain and hardship and the confusion of what was playing out with our both of our sort of traumas interacting.
2: Wasn't communicated to anybody. So it went on for a long time. And when I got to the
1: end of it and I really dropped into all of that, that was a transformative process. And out of the course of undergoing that transformation, I had to really acknowledge and realize that none of my male relationships had been aligned in a way that could have actually supported me in that
2: or female friendships for that matter. So so it's, it's very interrelated,
1: and the things that we look to and hate and despise about what occurs in relationships
2: between men and women and the violence that can occur, often that
1: violence is to do with deep wounding on the part of one of those parties that is unable to be communicated or presenced. Often it's some sort of trauma on the part of one or two parties. Often or not, both parties are drawn together because they have a corresponding thing that is trying to be worked out these traumas are drawn to one another because on some level their loss is to be integrated and for for it to move into love but it doesn't always do that and sometimes it plays out again and again and again in different relationships and uh, this is causing an enormous amount of pain and suffering in our society and we need processes of healing and integration to be available and i think we need contexts where men talk to other men and women talk to other women in a intimate and engaged way not as a oh here's my boys club and fuck all the other women in the office and no it's like it's in support of my relationship with my mm-hmm. fiance that i participate in a men's group they're deeply interrelated, and when we're getting to the meta crisis, I think a lot of a lot of my understanding of that and a lot of my understanding of where we are is a felt relationship through the course of what I was describing before of integrating my own trauma, of realizing no, this roots down much further. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was in the Second World War as a young man fighting, killing Japanese soldiers in the jungle and exposed to violence against the soul, Mm -hmm. whether it's your friend being killed or it's you killing another person. And that I don't think is isolated. And you can go further back to the first world war and the severe fragmentation and disassociation that occurred there this stuff is very recent history and it is the soil in which we collectively rooted and none of those men returned to a cultural context in which there was any room for integrating that so it was contained and it was contained in the home And it would obviously come out in different ways, violently or whatever it was. Trauma is always finding its way through the family, into the children, Mm -hmm. and into the children's children. And so my grandfather died before I was born. But I found myself in the course of this journey, having this moment of somehow tapping into that deep, soul wound that was there Mm -hmm. before my own birth and having to sort of really feel that horror and to sort of let that be fully felt and to let that sort of spirit go and so my my journey with that has giving me a sense of the collective ground and soil that we're rooted in as men and women and all of our relationships romantically are in deep relationship with where we are rooted and come from. And there's a whole complex drawing together and seeking a resolution. And so the process of healing collectively, individually, in relationship between men and women, is all intertwined and spaces for men together is, is an integral part of what addressing that looks like.
0: Yeah, and the understanding of that in society today is so fragmented and taboo, just the nature that the boy scouts were forced to open up to girls. Um, that kind of thing is just um, a very interesting um, notion. And, you know, Dr. Warren Farrell has recently released a new book called the boy crisis. And he was one of the first men ever, endorsed by the feminists back in the 60s. So I think that it's deeply lacking. It's deeply lacking. The anecdote that you gave of your relationship, the end of your relationship being so troubling and not having any other community, male or female, I think is a deep example of the pathology that can come out of a lack of community with the sex that we are. I think that women need a female community. They need sisterhood. And I think men need brotherhood. And I think that is just as deep of a human truth as we can get. It is as deep of a truth as men and women need each other as well. We have to have intimate relationship with the other sex. The other sex is represents for us the other in the most visceral way that we ever experience, it seems. There's this other thing that Jordan Peterson has talked about as Trepidatiously as he can, which is the idea that it's unclear as to whether it's a good idea that men and women even share the same workplace together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just love that idea (laughs) that the willingness to really look hard at what is just so commonly swallowed as. Deep truth that the relationship between men and women needs to look like a homogeneity of masculine and feminine dynamic, which I just couldn't disagree with more. You know, one of the things that I'm dealing with in paragliding, this conversation I'm having of women in paragliding is, you know, so many of the women's complaints are that they're getting unsolicited advice, that they're being belittled, that men are assuming they're students, that they're assuming they're the girlfriends of a pilot, that they're assuming that they're a tandem passenger, when in reality they're their own pilot. They also complain that men are unaware of their content of their speech, that men are talking about death and dying and danger in the van on the way to get up to launch. And that this scares women and they don't like it. Men, they also complain that men are constantly talking about, like competitively talking about their own experiences, whether they're competing about the most dangerous thing or the scariest thing that they've had happen to them or the furthest they've flown or any of these different things. Um, And for me, that takes me to a place of questioning okay, what is it about talking about danger that has the men's needs being met? Obviously, we're doing a really, like one of the most dangerous things you can do. And the fact that we want to talk about it to the nth degree is telling of something. Something's wanting to be shared here. There's also this notion of competition, which I think is pervasive and paragliding. And I think that a lot of it is a cock measuring uh, competition. And I think that is a completely unconscious motivation. It is a desire to be accepted by men. It is a sign that there is a lack of community in men. In paragliding with other men, we are out of right relationship with manhood and other men because we are constantly competing, 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 competing. And so, when women step into that arena and they want to paraglide, they're coming into a deeply disembodied male realm with other men and they're having complaints. Yeah, of course, they're having complaints. Of course, they're having complaints. Um, And it is becoming more and more obvious to me that it's not how men need to relate to women that needs to improve. It's how men need to relate to men that is the soil from which the rotten fruit of women having a bad experience on launch is growing. And the idea that men and women need to paraglide together is something that just like Jordan Peterson is saying that it's not yet obvious to me that women and men need to work together or that's good or the best thing that we could do. I don't think that's obvious. And the idea that men and women need to paraglide together, I don't. I also don't think is obvious. I think that men deeply need sport, recreation, danger, risk, camaraderie, and time together. We need a deep, male community around these things, right? And I also think that women need to be able to paraglide and do these dangerous things to build their confidence and their competence and to and to have community and I think that we both both genders need to be very sensitive to where our circles overlap because that we are going to have this overlapping Venn diagram and in that we have the most broad paragliding culture. I think that's incredibly important. But to think that men need to become less masculine in paragliding or that they need to be more polite or that they're doing it wrong because they want to talk about life threatening things or the deaths that they've seen or that they almost died. There's obviously something that wants to be experienced here. That is their own mortality. That that is their own. Um, humanity that is their own. They want to let themselves be afraid because them being afraid that they're going to get fired or them being afraid that their girlfriend might break up with them is like uh, not validated in the manosphere as a valid fear that they can't express, they can't let themselves feel. But the Fear that they're going to die when their glider collapses is very much validated. So they're willing to talk about these different fears ad nauseum so that they can actually feel their fear that they've been repressing for so long is... um, That seems... Uh, That's not even that complex of one for me to fish out. That just seems obvious. Men are, they repress their fear. So when they have something that's validated by other men that they're okay to be afraid about, then they're going to talk about that over and over and over and over and over. And yeah, so I think that paragliding can be a deep arena for men's work. And I think that The people that I talk to, my audience, especially on YouTube, there's 6,000 men who are, that they want to learn how to be better paraglide pilots and they want to have a good life. And the lessons of being a good paraglide pilot, I find to be incredibly salient on how to have a good life.
1: And I think that you have uniquely distilled those. I'm sure Mm. it's not true of every paraglider that they have found the the philosophical truths of life being plumbed in there. Uh And what you just did in relationship to this gender politics confusion of finding the microcosm within your domain of immediate concern and seeing the complexity of managing all of those things is really awesome.
0: Mm, Thank you.
1: And yeah, yeah, you have been drawn to many of the same people that I have been drawn to in this sort of wisdom, wisdom seeking journey. Uh So you're clearly listening for something. Um, something meaningful. And I believe that when we're drawn to to that, we're also being drawn to our fulfillment just as much as just as much as I was saying earlier how the the unintegrated part drawing in relationship to the other person's unintegrated part and all of the mess that comes from that that too is, is being drawn to uh, to be fulfilled or to, to wake up to something more in yourself. So I'm really glad that you're stepping into this and I don't know what form it's going to take yet, but I'm sure that, I'm sure that you can do something really valuable for people. And I think the the public conversation and the willingness to put ourselves out there vul- vulnerably and truly, and not just vulnerable and like talking about vulnerable feelings, but even the vulnerability of 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 anger and the vulnerability of like not like saying this is not right and like that side of vulnerability as well those things are important but also what can happen in a closed community and relationships that are continuing over a period of time which is what I'm going to be doing I'm just wrapping up the group that I've been running for 10 sessions and sort of envisioning something new and to invite more men into that, to kind of, yeah, to, to draw together these containers, for the fixed periods of time, you know, a few months, and then to, uh, to let that dissolve as well. Really valuable.
0: Amazing. I'd love to get your advice on that and to hear about the kind of tools and systems that you've used in that, that you found useful. I know so many of them, right? Like I I know of circling and authentic relating and, and nonviolent communication and all these tools that I think even just introducing them to men and sending them towards the resources that I've found so useful is at the very least what I cling to in my own psyche, as what validates me as a leader like this, you know. Um, so whether the men's group that I start looks like a book club to begin with, and a book club that meets once a month to do some kind of uh, circling or authentic relating, deep listening, um, emotional awareness, and intelligence, I think that's kind of where I'm leaning right now, and and I also think that having myself involved in something outside of what I'm leading is I'm being called to that too. So, yeah, that's interesting that it's serendipitous to hear that you've been doing that. And, um, of course there's serendipities here. Of course there are, but, um, wow. 1 PM, two and a half hours have passed here. (laughs) I'm starving.
1: (laughs) Once I get into that flow, I can just,
0: yeah. Yeah, you can fast. Let it go
1: for as long as it wants to go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know all about that flow stuff. Um, But let's do this again. I really, um, I really appreciate this. I would, um, this conversation went in directions that I wasn't expecting. And um, I'm happy that it was so little of it was intellectual.
1: Yeah, well, I'm always trying to bridge everything with direct experience. And and uh, yeah, I would love to have you on Sense Space sometime because I've been researching flow and the process of insight and so much of what you've talked about with paragliding. For me, I'm just thinking about dialogos and mm-hmm. how like that's where I'm practicing it. And there's maybe not as much direct danger of falling to my death but yeah this there's a lot of that a lot of that feels very real for me and i'm i'm looking to cultivate it more deeply and perhaps yeah there's some some seeds and bits of knowledge that you have that will flow into into my practice
0: yeah i'd love to explore that let's um i'm gonna eat some lunch and i'll uh Write you a message. Let's get a scheduling link going. I appreciate your time today. It's been super fun talking to you. Thank you. I'll see you soon, Jacob. All right. Later, bro.
1: Have a good meal. Thanks. See ya. Take it easy with the integration. All right. I'll let you know how it goes. All right.
0: See you, buddy. Okay, you guys. I hope you like that very interesting, very wandering and exploratory dialogue which is such a wonderful gift it really is so thanks to jacob for coming on if you like this podcast please consider sharing it supporting it making an itunes review and becoming a patron on patreon that's the biggest thing you can do to help that's patreon.com airy in the air for as little as five dollars a month just a cup of coffee or a beer or whatever little tasty treat that could represent to you in the gift economy Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Love you.